welcome to The Convergence Podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university and college students, post-secondary students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. It's a space to think, question, doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. So glad you're here. Hey, hey, friends. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. We are excited to bring you this conversation on how do I do hard times with Dr. Neil Parker, who's a registered psychologist. Now, we have had a few hiccups with our technology, so we apologize for that. But I think you're going to enjoy this nonetheless. So, um, all right. So when, when Kelly said, hey, Neil, would you consider doing this? I actually got kind of excited. Um, because this has been kind of, kind of a deal with me and God. Not that I've gone through you know, more trials than all of you or anything like that. that okay, I'll, basically when I was in my 20s, are we supposed to clap? Hey! He was in his 20s, the guy, he was young. Um, uh, when I was in my 20s, I, I'd only known God for a couple of years. And I, I grew up in a household that wasn't, we didn't go to church, we didn't know anything about God. And I, I started walking with him when I was in my early 20s. And um, I read a scripture. And it was Paul when he said, James 1-2, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because your testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish at work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And I saw that, and it just about knocked me over. Consider it joy when you face trials. That was like a foreign language that didn't make sense. But I knew it had to make sense, and I knew Paul knew something I didn't know. And so I took it at face value. And so I I did one of the dumbest things and best things I ever did. And I said a prayer. And I said, God, send me trials. And um, lo and behold, he did. And it started a relationship with me, with God, related around trials that um, were both hard, sometimes horrible, but also powerful and life-changing for me. And I'm not sure I've ever gone through one that didn't have meaning. And so when Kelly said, hey, you want to talk about trials? I was like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> and um, here's the only, the only problem I have here today, I'll just be honest, I could go for six hours. And, and so I know that's not what this is. So I tried to come up with, okay, here's maybe my things that I think are, you know, and I just I started with pages and kept working it down. And, and so this isn't a, a complete, this isn't the, you know, like the best of some musical group that we all love. This is, this is just the stuff that I was on my heart for tonight. And so if something's missing, don't worry. I'm not saying it doesn't exist and it shouldn't be in there. And if there's a scripture, you go, this is my favorite scripture about trials. And I probably have it written somewhere. Denise and I spent about 45 minutes yesterday just going through all our favorite scriptures about trials. And I just realized, oh, that's just too much. We can't do all that. (laughs) So uh, this is just the best I can come up with. Okay, so what have I learned? I learned basically that in the trials that we go through, Every single one of them. There are two agendas going on. And one of them is God's. And it is really, really important to God. 
the use and what we do, what he does with our trials is not just a thing. It is sometimes the thing. And, and you got to understand, but there's another agenda going on too. That the enemy of your souls is going to use those same trials to do his agenda. And it is competing agendas. And the brutal truth is, if you are not operating under God's agenda, you are being influenced by the enemy's agenda. And so that understanding what God is trying to do and what he wants to do is, is really important. Because if you don't, you'll leave yourself vulnerable. And believe me, you know, I spent and still am vulnerable. This isn't some kind of thing I figured out, you know, 35, 40 years ago, and now I'm just coasting along. I'm still learning, but I went through a lot of, you know, stumbling and falling to learn some of the stuff I've learned. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to sum it up. I've been I've been spending a bunch of time on a just kind of a wouldn't think of the biggest scripture in the whole world. Um, Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul's talking about love. And um, believe me, it ties in here. Give me, just give me a chance to go with this. Um, Paul, what Paul's doing, the first part of chapter, chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. And so Paul's going off on spiritual gifts. You know, everybody has different spiritual gifts. The body of Christ, each of you are a different part of the body. And he's just really trying to help us understand how God creates us all differently with gifts. And then he kind of transitions and says, but now I'm going to tell you the most excellent way, the most excellent of these gifts. And he talks about love. And it begins with, you know, if you can prophesy and do all this thing and you don't have love, you're nothing. It's, it's a waste of time. It's hot air. And, he, and so he, he, he describes what love is. And then he transitions into a kind of an interesting, he begins to talk about, it kind of seems to reference what it'll be like when all this world is gone. And he says, you know, someday we're going to see clearly. Right now we're seeing kind of through a mirror, but someday we're going to really get it. And when this way, he doesn't say it, but you can tell he's kind of, you know, when this world's gone and this whole shoot match around here is all over, you're going to really, you're going to get a sense, some real understand, some real truth. You'll see it. And then in the middle of that context, he said, and now these three remain. Almost as if, okay, when it's all over, there's going to be three left. And so this is Paul's top three list. You know, everybody's top 10 list, and top five list, and, you know, it's all the clickbait, right? <laughs> Paul had a top three list. He said, and now these three are what's left. Faith, hope, and love. And then he said, the greatest is love. But that doesn't minimize the fact that faith and hope were in the top three. And that's what I've been kind of thinking about. Paul's top three. And... What I realized is that everything I wanted to share with you was really about faith, hope, and love. And that what God wants us to know is that his agenda in each of our trials, it's about our faith, it's about hope, and it's about love. Love in community, how we're supposed to love each other. Okay, so I'm going to kind of go through each of those. Now, here's what I want to do, though. I want you to ask questions. I want you to interrupt. I spent a lot of years in ministry talking to junior high kids. Okay, literally, I would have like 
300 of them in front of me. And so you always got interrupted. And if they were quiet, something was wrong. Okay. And so I get nervous when everybody's quiet. So if you could not, you know, if you could, you know, say, hey, what, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Um, and I, I kind of enjoy that. So that's what the fun part, that's why the circle thing is so that we can actually just talk. Okay, so don't save your questions to the end. If you want to, that's fine. But, but go ahead and we'll just talk about this. And I'll kind of, I can jump back in where I was. And if I get lost, that's okay too. Um, okay, so let's start with faith. What God, the foundation of, of faith, and I'm going to use faith, I'm going to use another word, trust. Because the best I can tell that word faith is, I don't know if the English language quite captures what the word's trying to say when it says that. It, I think sometimes it's closer in some uses to trust than faith. Because we think of faith sometimes as just meaning, well, I believe in that. And believing in something is very different than trusting in it. And so what God calls us to is a trusting faith, not just a believing faith. Okay, so, so just when you hear me use faith or trust, I'm kind of, you know, they're, they're both the same thing. So here's the thing, that if we don't understand why God allows, does, permits, why we go through trials, what the theology of trials is, okay, our faith can be shaken. And that's the enemy's goal. He's going to try to plant some lies in you about, about the theology, about the truth about trials. And he's going to use those lies to shake your faith, your trust. Okay, now God, on the other hand, wants to do the opposite. He actually wants to use the trial to strengthen that trust. And so it's these competing agendas going on. Okay, so where I first got introduced to it was when I was uh, about two or three years into doing ministry. I was a high school teacher for about 12 years, and then I transitioned. I was volunteering in ministry. Then I went into ministry. And a person I was really close to, I think Pat and Laura um, Rhodes, and they, they, we were kind of, my wife and I, they, we just kind of connected. He was about my size for some reason. I think that's why I liked him so much. Um, and so he was going up on a weekend to speak at a church. And we'd prayed for him, and we were all excited about it for them. And there, there was kind of this cool little church retreat thing, you know, where they were up on a mountain. And, and uh, we got a call about midnight that said they'd been in an accident. And um, a drunk driver had crossed the road, hit their car head on, and two of their three children were killed. And for us, it actually shook our faith. And the reason was is because we'd had a, a mistaken belief we had a belief somehow, somewhere got in our heads that, well, if you serve God, he'll protect you. And so as long as I'm a good believer, and, and me, we were trying to give our lives away to God. We were almost doing it full time, so we should get extra protection, right? And so we, we kind of went into this thing thinking, well, now that we're serving God, we got this, maybe a couple extra angels, you know, something, you know. Um, and it was like, well, wait a minute. They were not only serving God, but they were going up to speak to God's people. And they didn't do anything wrong. And what we learned was that this culture, particularly I think North American culture, sells to us this idea that trials are an exception. That the goal, the, the kind of the norm, is things go okay. 
and then every once in a while something bad happens. And then, but that could be avoided if you work really hard. If you wear bike helmets and you, you, know, you think of all the safety things you're thinking of and you do this and do that, you can avoid bad stuff. And that is not what the word says. I mean, think, <laughs> okay, just listen. Peter, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, so for every scripture in the Bible that says God will protect you, there's a scripture and a dozen examples of God's people going through trial. And so when, when the scripture says God is going to protect you, like it says things like, you know, you will not stumble and you will not fall. And, you know, and he talks about he'll protect you from this and the fowler snare won't get you. And, you know, all these kind of things that there, it's not saying you're not going to go through trial. It, it, there's some type of protection there. I, for me, it's the idea that I won't fall. I don't mean fall isn't like go through trial, but fall isn't like I won't be lost to God. That I will stay saved. That he will never allow me to be lost. I'm sure theologians can argue that one. But, but I can tell you, the, the people in you read and I read in the Bible, the people I know who follow God around me, they go through trials. I don't, I'm sure I met the person who doesn't. And if they haven't, they're, they're, they're just a trial waiting to happen. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things you've got to grab a hold of. So the first thing is expect it. Be prepared. When did they start saying that we're going to get the brutal cold? <laughs> was it like a week ago? <laughs> I don't know when you guys started. I started, I like, I'm a weather guy. So I, I was watching the weather reports. And, and I was, okay, so what do you guys do to get ready for this? Anybody for the big brutal cold? Is there any preppers or are there any non-preppers? Do we have any opinion on this? Okay. Who, okay, yeah, the extension cord for the car. You got to, yeah, that hasn't been out all winter. Anybody put a, you know, maybe if you got a car, you throw a few extra clothes in the car, like gloves or anything like that? Get some long johns. Okay, so all of us prep a little bit because we're expecting it. Did, did anybody get surprised by like, like this? Like had no idea it was going to be 30 below today? No? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the idea is if we're prepping for weather, why wouldn't we prep for trials? Why wouldn't we expect it and be waiting for it versus grabbing a hold of this North American kind of cultural, you know, well, things, you know, this culture, everything goes right, right? Okay, and by the way, you all know that's a lie too, don't you? You know, even no matter how many posts somebody puts on that makes their life seem perfect, you know those are just posts, right? Okay, so second thing. These trials are not God's heart for you. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. See, we, we go through trial, and we begin to wonder, like, I don't know, you ever have that question, like, God, you care? Okay, I forget the reference, but you guys could kind of look this one up. Disciples in a boat. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. They all get in the boat. They're going across the storm. Jesus is asleep in the back. Storm hits. Jesus stays asleep. By the way, I think he was awake. I'm thinking he's like eyes closed, just kind of one eye peeking out, just looking at him. And, and they start freaking out. And I mean freaking out. And they go back and they wake him up. And you remember what they say? Lord, 
don't you care? Actually, they didn't even call him Lord. I think they called him teacher, which was a downgrade from Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Teacher, don't you care? And it wasn't a, don't you care? It was, I I think it was an accusation. See, we, we think that when we go through hard stuff, it feels like God doesn't care. And we have to be ready with what the truth is that. Is that these trials, you just got to understand, they're not God's heart. This is plan B that we live in. Okay? God's plan A was the Garden of Eden. Where he, it was, it was perfect. There was no trials. There was perfect relationship with him. There was perfect relationship with each other. That was God's heart for us. That's what he wanted. And by the way, that's his intention for us in the future. I think so. We were just talking about Revelation. Somebody was. And, uh, yeah, how, yeah, and so that's his intention. But in the meantime, we threw that in the trash bin. And we tossed all that aside to be our own bosses. And that caused this mess. Not God. This was not his plan A. His heart was the Garden of Eden for us. And so now that we're living in this screwed up, self-made, messed up world, God says, okay, plan B. Now I'm going to take this screwed up, messed up things that all of us go through and all the pain and all the hurt, and I'm going to use it for your good. I'm going to do good things with it. That's his heart. He is not doing this out of his heart. He does not allow trial out of his heart. He allows trial because we created a mess. And sometimes the only way to get us through this is to allow trial. Okay, so God does care, even if it doesn't feel like it. Okay, another truth. It's not that, well, this is kind of part of the same thing. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that he abandoned you. And it's not that he's punishing you. Do you you guys understand? We don't get punished from God. Okay? Scripture says that our sin is paid for. Jesus took that punishment, right? Okay? You are not experiencing, as a follower of Christ, you do not experience God's punishment. You will occasionally experience his discipline, which is very different. That's just what what any parent would do for a child. Would discipline them to help them. But, But punishment, just, okay, you screwed up. Here we go. You get the back of the hand. Okay, that was covered by Jesus. Okay? Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, he is not abandoned. He is not mad. He does not despise us. He does not forget us. Okay? Okay, so if it isn't punishing and abandoning, well, then why do trials happen? Okay? Well, let's start with, like I said, this is just a broken world. We get cancer because our bodies are imperfect. You know, Pat and Laura lost their children because there was a drunk driver on the road. We Families break up because people are imperfect and sinful. 
People lose their parents because this is a broken world. Okay? So most of the trials we go through, that's my take. I don't know if anybody's done a poll. Um, most of the trials we go through is because of the brokenness of this world. It's just that simple. Okay? Now, does God allow it? Sure. God's sovereign. And he could go around and stop every single trial. Okay, but he, he, first of all, free will is part of the deal between us and him. And so if he was stopping people from doing everything, there wouldn't be any free will. It would be a bunch of robots with God's control. So free will demands that he allows us to, to choose, and often we choose the wrong thing. And in those choices, this world suffers. Okay? Sometimes it's our disobedience. Our foolishness. We do it to ourselves. We, we lose a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And we wonder why. But maybe it's because we didn't treat them very well. We do poorly in a business endeavor. Well, maybe we risked too much money. Maybe we borrowed too much money. We get in a car wreck. Well, we weren't watching the road. Okay, sometimes our sin or our foolishness creates the trial we're in. And to blame God for that seems kind of unfair. Sometimes it's Satan's attack. Okay, there's several examples in the Bible where Satan actually brought trial. Job is the kind of the famous one. Now, God allowed it, but it was Satan's plan, not God's. Okay? And so sometimes you are under attack. Um, occasionally, God has a plan. And that it really is God saying, okay, I am going to bring this about. But when God brings about trial, let me tell you, there is something good coming. Okay, it is, he does not bring about trial just for the heck of it. Okay, when he decides, okay, I'm going to orchestrate something here, he has got a very specific plan, and it is good. Okay, um, so <laughs> probably one of my favorite one is Joseph. You guys, okay, just real quickly, the, I'll give you the short version. Brothers turn on, he had a nice coat. I don't know why that was a big deal. And brothers turn on him. They steal his coat, steal his birthright, um, send him off to, I think he's selling to slavery. He goes off, ends up working his way up through with, I think, the king of Egypt. He ends up becoming this powerful person. And, and then his family he's, is brought to him. And he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. And so all of that trial he went through was a God plan, okay, even though their evil was part of it, but it was good. And so if God is orchestrating what you're going through, you better buckle up for something good, okay, at the end of the trial. Not, you know, Paul's whole joy during trial, I don't know, is joy the right word? <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not happiness. Um, maybe closer to thankfulness or hopeful expectation, I don't know. Okay. So if you gotta, what, what you want to do is realize that the truths that I just gave you 
are necessary to hang on to your faith. Because if any of those get broken, if any of those you don't understand, then the enemy gets to do his plan. If you think God has abandoned you, your faith struggles. If you think God is punishing you, it's harder to go to him and ask for help. If you think you're to blame, you're the problem, he's angry, then Satan has, can win in his goal to try to shake your faith. And so these truths aren't just theological. They're kind of lifelines. Okay, so I want to stop there for a second. Um, in this area of faith, some of the truths I just mentioned, you got a question. Um, you got thoughts, maybe even things you'd share. Just go, yeah, here's something I learned. Or uh, how about like, uh, I call them yeah buts, where you go, yeah, but um, anything? This would be the chance we could have this fun interaction <laughs> or we could awkwardly. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> so how about, how about like sickness? Yeah. Just sickness. Well, How does that all fit into here? Well, we know that, that our bodies in the fall were broken and that the, the brokenness of our bodies is really about sickness. Okay, so, you know, sickness, Jesus was clear that sickness wasn't necessarily about sin. Sometimes I guess it could be, you know, you smoke, you might get cancer. You drink too much, you might, you know, get a liver, kidney problem. But often it's just, it's just happening. Now, what we'll talk about next is how God uses these kind of things. But, but sickness is a, definitely a trial. And it's not about God's abandonment. It just isn't. Um, the one example I was given about where Jesus talked about a person who was, I forget, they were either, I think they were lame, and someone said, well, you know, who sinned? Themselves, their father, their, you know, what? and he said, no one. This was done for God's glory. And so that was a case where God actually had a plan. And so he was doing something. And it was for that moment. And my guess is, up leading to that moment, the person, if you had asked them, they would have said, nope, not worth it. Afterwards, I don't know, it'd be really interesting. My guess is they'd, they'd say, thank you, God. Some, sometimes that afterward you don't see in nope. that person's lifetime. No. Maybe you don't even see it in the next lifetime. No. Like sometimes we don't actually have a finality to that suffering. Yeah, and that's, that's what we talk about when we talk about faith and trust. What Jesus said was that faith is believing in what you can't see. And, and that's where it comes down to when, when a loved one goes through a sickness and they, they die. And there's no healing and there's no miracle at the end. And you can't see what God has done. You don't know. I mean, I do a lot of asking. I do a lot of saying, okay, God, would you show me what you're doing here? Because I can't see it. But it's a prayer. When Paul talks about praying with thanksgiving, um, and it's a prayer with thanksgiving in my heart, which is, I know you're doing something here. I just can't see it. Would you show it to me? And I, most times I get a hint of it. I kind of get a sense. I think, I think my question would be about um, Psalm 22 um, and the feeling of God abandoning me. Um, at, and it's a prayer that you know Jesus even prays of when he's on the cross, but it's 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. Uh, I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you are fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. Uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your sense of that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting feeling where he's almost almost teetering into the feeling of abandonment, right? To say, God, have you left my side? Have you abandoned me? Um, but I think I, re- I kept reading uh, because I feel like that was important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, yet you are enthroned. <laughs> David, I swear about uh, like a quarter of David's psalms were him just going off on God. Just what the heck? And if you, you know, if you know the context of those, of, of, ye, of him being promised to be the king, and then what followed was not a trial, but unending trial. First, he's in another country as a hired killer for another king. And, then he, and he's done nothing. And he comes back, and he does nothing to Saul. But Saul does persecutes him. Then he has chances to kill Saul, and he doesn't. He has chances to hurt. He doesn't. He does everything right, and he spends years, not weeks, in in caves. And he, but if you notice those psalms, he always turns it around, like you said at the end. He, He starts with his feelings. You know, I, I can just hear him. You know, if we'd use our language, just, just come on. And then he says, but I know I trust you. He reminds himself of the truths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why these truths are so important. I know you haven't left me, God. I'm mad, and I can't see you, and this hurts, and I don't get it, and it doesn't make any sense. But I know... You're not punishing me. I know you love me. I know you're good. Yeah. Um, that kind of goes into like a little bit of my question, but like, what did joy look like for you in various trials? Because um, typically, I think in the world we don't think like asking God, like, how can you do this to me, is looking like joy, right? Mm-hmm. And like things like that. So, like, what does it look like? No, joy is not fun. <laughs> Um, and and it, it's not, definition-wise, it's not about fun. And this kind of joy is not enjoyable. Um, and for me, what it looked like was when I could see God when I shouldn't have been able to, when I knew he was there and I could see what he was doing. There was something pretty powerful about it. There was something profound. Maybe that's a word I'm trying to come up with. That when you're going through something that really hurts, but you actually believe and can see God doing something good out of the middle of that horribleness. That, I don't know, maybe there's another scripture that kind of pipes, pops into this and then we get into our, our next thing here. Paul talked, was talking about people dying one time. Talking about believers who had passed. And, and he, said, he said, we don't grieve like the non-believers do, without hope. 
And so the obvious implication is, is we grieve with hope. And maybe that's a way to say it, is that going through pain with hope, there is some kind of joy in it. No, I'm sorry. That's that was your one. <laughs> how can we, as believers, then, or some maybe not, but how can we support non-believers in that too? Like, or is it just different? Like, how can we be okay with it just being different for them? Okay, a, a, a little bit of that we'll touch on because it'll it'll kind of kind of hit there. But the thought I had is that sometimes, okay, I, I, as a psychologist, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I see both believers and non-believers. Um, and there are times when you realize you're with a believer or non-believer, and that they are suffering, and that the real provision, the real healing, isn't there for them as a non-believer. Mm. That you can't heal or walk them into healing of something that that they would need God to heal. And those moments, I, I think in some ways, I, you know, I do what I can. Okay, how can I help? But I go back to something that Jesus said that I, I've always thought was kind of profound for me. And he was talking about, he said, you know, he was thanking some people. And he said, thank you for giving me some water and thanks for giving me that coat when I was cold and thanks for visiting me when I was prison and, and they go when did we do that and he said anytime you do that to the least of anybody you are doing it to me not for me but to me and so there is something profound about the ministry of kindness of just a cold cup of cold water and a hug or a coat when they're cold or a a meal when they're hungry, or uh, someone to talk to when they're sad. And I think that's, that's not just nothing. I think there's something incredibly eternal and profound about that kind of love that, that is actually goes with us into heaven in a way that I think Jesus was trying to say, this is very real when you do this. You are serving me, not just serving me to others, you're actually caring for me. And so, I mean, that'd be a good place to start. Now, obviously, you know, if you can somehow show them a little bit of Christ and, and point them that direction, that's, you know, absolutely. Let's talk about hope for a minute. Okay, so if, if we know what it isn't and that there's a plan that God, maybe sometimes God's got, he's going to do something. What, what are we talking about here? And so I told you about Joseph and this idea, God meant something, or man meant something for evil, but God and for good. And there's a scripture that for me has been like maybe the, the most profound scripture in my life, even though it's just simple. And but now let me say that second place to, you know, anything around salvation. Um, it's in Romans 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Well, that's it. That's all. We apologize again that you won't be able to hear the rest of the conversation, but we trust that Christ will be with you and beside you and all around you, even in your hard times. So join us on January 25th 
at 7 p.m. at Brentview Baptist Church as we talk about these in the conversations. See you there. Grace and peace.